Okay, thank you very much for that song. It was beautiful. The Saviour of Heaven has come. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that it's the end of the year. It's only yesterday and it was last Christmas. How does this happen? How does this work out? And the older you get, the quicker it goes, doesn't it? The quicker each year goes. Let's just bow for a word of prayer, shall we? And then we're going to have a little bit of a reflection. But not so much upon the year that's gone by. I want to reflect on something different this morning and trust it will be a a blessing and a help to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you and we just thank you that the Saviour of heaven came. Came to this earth and took on flesh and was born in a manger, laid in a manger after he was born. And yet he was the king, king eternal, king from glory. King came to die for us and give his life a ransom for many. And we reflect upon that this morning and just think about it. And Lord, we just want to say thank you that you gave your son that we might have life. Help us, Lord, as we look at your word now, just to uh, glean something and to appreciate you a little bit more, uh, perhaps from a different angle, but, Lord, help us to come back to that fact that it is good to know the Saviour. And uh, we'll thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was hoping that Pastor Shemish would preach this morning. Uh, Andrew rang me up and said, Pastor Shemish has been asked if he'd preach this morning, but uh, he's probably not going to be able to, so would you? And I said, well, I'll be ready, but if he comes, you let him do it. <laughs> Pastor Shemish, if you're watching this morning, greetings. And I wish it was you, but anyway, here we are. All right, Romans chapter 2, I want to draw, I want to just draw your attention to one verse and then we're going to leave it and come back there later on. Uh, Verse 4, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's a fantastic verse and particularly the phrase, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. As we think about the year that's just gone by, 2019 is nearly done and dusted, you know, two weeks and we're entering into 2020 and we, you know, the end of a year and the beginning of a year, we we reflect and then we look at new beginnings and we sort of look forward and we think of, well, we all greet each other and say, well, I hope your next year will be better than the last and all that sort of jazz and it's good to do that and good to reflect on the year that's gone by and we could reflect all about the things of the world, you know, for a while of uh, 2019 We could think about politics and the changes in the world over this last 12 months, but I'm not going to go there. That's too much of a minefield for me. We could look at sport and sort of see the the highs and lows of the sport realm in 2019, but again, I'm not going to go there. We could think about climate and think about bushfires and floods and all sorts of stuff and hailstones this big, Danny was telling me, Gimpy the other day, 113 millimetres. That's big hailstones. Come down and just smashed the awning of the back of this house. We could talk about hailstones, but we're not going to. But I want this morning to reflect on the fact that in the scripture it tells us and shows us that Many lives, you know, we could, as I said, we could look, about, look at the year and the beginning and the end of it, but um, I want to look at lives this morning. Not our lives, but it'll come back to our lives. But lives in the scriptures, beginnings and end. And I've come to a conclusion that there's many in the scriptures that their lives began well, but didn't finish well. And I sort of puzzled about that and thought, why, you know, what is all this about, you know? We try and 
we have to think through three things, don't we? We have to sort of take it in and kind of grasp it and kind of make sense of things, you know. My brother-in-law this year has been taken sick with uh, diabetes and many people have got diabetes and that's not, you know, anything particularly bad but he also came down with some sort of stomach infection and all of a sudden he's in hospital now with some of his foot removed because of infection and it's all just happened in a few weeks, very quickly. And uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, not implicating my brother-in-law in any way in this. I'm just sort of saying, you know, our lives begin and they end and can end very quickly. And uh, we look in the scriptures and we see that many lives began well, but they didn't end well. And uh, we, particularly as we, you know, the whole scripture is given for our examples, isn't it? It says that in Hebrews and... So the Old Testament is all there for our examples and a lot of the Old Testament talks about the kings and the kings are great examples for us to look at and I'll just start from the beginning of the kings of Israel and you know Saul was a, began well, he was chosen of God to lead Israel and he began well, he, the scriptures tell us that he was humble in his own sight and uh, and uh, instructed by the prophet Samuel, and he began well, and he, and he led the children of Israel in a great victory, and then that was it. It all went pear-shaped after that. And you sort of think, why? What happened to Saul that he should go pear-shaped? In Samuel 15 and verse 17, uh, Samuel spoke to him after he'd, you know, challenged him about uh, going to the Amalekites and then bringing back all the spoil and he was told to wipe out the Amalekites and not to take any spoil and he brought back a pile of spoil and the king and King Agag and and Samuel sort of challenged him and and uh, well he tried to blame everybody else for it instead of taking the blame himself and uh, Saul's life just from then on began a spiral I believe that he had opportunity at that first instance to really repent and to get, get right. But he didn't take it. The goodness of God in Romans 2 led him to repentance. The goodness of God gave him opportunity to repent under Samuel, you know, with Samuel's direction. He had great opportunity to repent, but he didn't. The goodness of God will lead us to repentance, but the goodness of God will not make us repent. We have to choose that ourselves. And that's an amazing thing about God, isn't it? He gives us choice. But he brings us to points, and then he says, right, oh, now you choose. What are you going to do? Which way are you going to go? Saul chose not to repent, he seemed to repent a couple of times. Oh, I've sinned. But really it obviously didn't come from his heart because it didn't go on. Whereas in contrast, David, David sinned grievously. Nathan the prophet came to, to David and gave him the story about the, you know, the, 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 one, the man having one lamb and, and the rich man having many lambs and and instead of taking, the, you know, the rich man when he wanted a feast, instead of taking his, one of his fat lambs for the feast, he went over and took the one lamb from the poor man and killed it. And David said, whoa, that shouldn't be, you know. Uh, where is that man? Let's put him to death sort of thing. Nathan said, thou art the man. You've taken Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and you've killed Uriah. Oh, that smote David big time. Well, he repented. He repented genuinely and he finished well. He had opportunity to repent. The goodness of God led David to repentance. He repented. And he went on and served the Lord to the end of his days. What a difference between David and Saul. Doesn't just end there though. Goes on. Solomon. Solomon was given a great opportunity, great start in life the son of the king that had prepared everything for building a temple and, 
and the whole of Israel was to go forward under Solomon after David uh, uh, died and, and uh, Solomon was, you know, ushered in and a great beginning, great beginning. God spoke to him in two particular dreams and Solomon asked for wisdom rather than for riches and glory and God said, well, I'll give you riches and glory as well as wisdom. And he had it. But the scriptures tell us very clearly that Solomon knew this, that in Deuteronomy, God had given instruction to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 17 and verses 16 16 and 17, not to multiply horses and not to multiply wives under yourself when you become a king or the king shall not do that when you appoint a king. Moses was preaching that and looking forward to that time and, and it happened, of course. And, and he said, and also you won't multiply to yourself in big abundance gold and silver. You can look at it yourself there in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. Well, Solomon did all three, didn't he? And Nehemiah tells us in Nehemiah that uh, outlandish women particularly led Solomon to sin. And by the end of Solomon's reign, Israel had gods to all the other gods around the nations as well as the Lord God. They had altars to Shemosh, they had altars to Milcom and uh, Solomon didn't end well. Began well. Is he in heaven today? Well, I believe so. I believe he was a man of God. I believe he was you know, saved. Did he end well? No. Was he given opportunity to repentance? I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was challenged. But go on. After Solomon, uh, there was great opportunity for Jeroboam. Come with me now to, to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 11. We're going to sort of have a bit of a journey through some of the kings quickly. 1 Kings 11 and this fellow Jeroboam was uh, basically kicked out of Israel when Solomon was king because Jeroboam became a threat to Solomon and uh, we won't sort of read through the whole thing but if we start in verse 29... It came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem and Jeroboam was, uh, he he basically was sent off to Egypt by Solomon because Solomon didn't like him. So, you know, Jeroboam had showed himself to be a great man of valour and a great organiser and and, uh, initially Solomon wanted to put him in charge of things. He was industrious, it says in verse 28. But look in verse 29. It came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way. And he'd clad himself with a new garment and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. So he grabbed Jeroboam's garment and he tore it up into 12 bits. It was pretty dramatic, eh? And uh, he said, take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. So pretty dramatic sort of God's declaring here to Jeroboam that I'm going to do this. Because of the way Solomon is finished, the kingdom is going to be divided you're going to get 10 tribes. Solomon or his son's going to keep two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, because in verse 33, they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes and to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. So here God acknowledges David finished well, but Solomon, he says, didn't. Because of that, I'm going to rend the kingdom in bits. You're going to take ten bits, ten tribes. Rehoboam's going to keep two. Look over with me in verse 38. Verse 38. And it shall be 
So this is God speaking to Jeroboam through the prophet Ahijah. And he says, And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and will build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. Does that sound like a great promise? It is, isn't it? It's a great promise to Jeroboam. Jeroboam, I'm rending the kingdom and I'm giving you an opportunity to lead ten tribes. And if you listen to my voice, if you hearken to my voice, he's basically saying, I'm going to bless you greatly. Did Jeroboam do that? He didn't. We're not going to go through it all. But Jeroboam, the minute he got control, basically said, if I follow the Lord, everyone's going to go up to Jerusalem. I don't have control of Jerusalem. That's where we're supposed to go and worship. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to set up something different. And he set up an altar and a calf in Bethel, which is in the lower part of the ten tribes of Israel, and then a calf up in Dan, which is in the, high, in the top section, right up the top. And he says, these be your gods, O Israel. Don't go to Jerusalem. I don't want you to go there. Now I submit to you, why did he do that? Well, I, I guess he suddenly got power, didn't he? He suddenly got power. He suddenly got position. He suddenly got wealth. He suddenly got popularity. And then he got paranoid. All these things sort of build up and jealousy and he said, I've got to keep my people now. Well, I'm going to do things differently. Don't, don't bother about going to Jerusalem, folks. You stay here and worship this calf. Now, how different could that be to worshipping the God of Israel? Massively different. Massively different. He knew history. He knew the story of them coming out of Egypt. He knew the golden calf that Aaron made in the wilderness, etc. And he knew the end of that. It doesn't augur pretty, does it? But he did it anyway. And, uh, and come with me now. We're just going to have a look at the finish of Jeroboam's life. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13, and look what it says. Right through the uh, account of the kings, there's about 12 times that it says that, you know, the, 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 the kings after Jeroboam fought, uh, uh, led, led Israel away from the Lord and were evil like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. That's what it says, about 12 times. So it's not a good testimony, is it? Jeroboam didn't finish well. Have a look here in, uh, in uh, uh, 2 Chronicles 13 and verse 20. 2 Chronicles 13, 20. Uh, he'd had some wars and uh, his kingdom was depleted. He'd lost a lot of people. And it says, look, in verse 20, Neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. The Lord struck him. The Lord gave him a great message at the beginning, gave him great opportunity, gave him a great kingdom, gave him a great position, made him a great king. He said, I'll bless you greatly. And look at his end. The Lord struck him and he died. Not good. Not good. Great opportunity, great beginning. Didn't end well. Second Chronicles 16. You're there in Chronicles. Flick over to chapter 16. Here we go back to a king of Judah. And uh, we see a king by the name of Asa, Asa, 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 7. 
Asa was a good king, generally speaking. He began well. He was given great opportunity, but he didn't finish well, sadly, either. In verse 7 it says, And at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the, uh, on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Now this is 36 years into Asa's reign. When Asa began, there was uh, uh, back in, in chapter 15, Azariah, the son of Oded, came and met Asa. So there's, there's two prophets came and saw Asa, one at the beginning, and said, if you'll trust the Lord, you know, he'll, he'll deliver you. And he did. Asa heard the words of, of Oded in verse 8 and he took courage and he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he'd taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance. The very thing that Jeroboam back previously had wanted to stop, you know, they Many came out of Israel down to Judah uh, and gathered themselves in, at Jerusalem in verse 10 in the third month in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. Asa. They offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they'd brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Asa began well. He led the kingdom God gave them a great deliverance in, back in, in chapter 14, which we won't read, but he gave him a great deliverance from, a, from the enemy there and they, they brought the spoil back and they worshipped the Lord in Jerusalem and gave thanks to the God of Israel and God blessed Asa at the beginning of his reign. Have a look in verse 13 at what Asa did at that, at that ceremony, at that Passover or at that, at that time. It says... They in, in verse 12, sorry, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And it goes on that whosoever, and I personally, as I read this, think this is a little foolish. A great beginning, great feast here, great revival, great rejoicing at the things that God had done. And they kind of went too far. Look what it says. That whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. That was pretty harsh, wasn't it? Should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Okay? That's the scene set at the beginning of Asa's reign. He says, we've had great deliverance, we've had great victory, we're going to walk with God. We're going to do this. And if anybody dares not do it, well, you get put to death. Look what happens. We go over to verse 7 of chapter 16, where I began to read. 36 years into Asa's reign, things had begun to change. Basher, I think it was, the uh, king of Israel had come up against Judah at the beginning of chapter 16 and, and built ramparts against Ramah to the intent that, you know, he would sort of stop the trade for Asa and stop the blessings out of Jerusalem. Asa didn't like it. But instead of relying upon the Lord God, look what he did. He went to, he brought in verse 2, the silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, and said, you know, would you come and help me? I'm in trouble here. And over in verse 7, Hanani came to the king of Judah and said unto him, because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host, which was what came against him back in chapter 14 and God gave them the victory? A huge host, evidently, and God gave them the victory. You, you relied upon the Lord, it says in the end of verse 8. 
and he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Do you, do you acknowledge with me that here God gave Asa opportunity to repent? He'd given him a great beginning. He'd set him, established him. He'd had 36 good years. He now had popularity, money, wealth, position, the whole shooting match. What happened? Did it go to here? I think perhaps it did because look what happened. Look what he did to, uh, to, uh, to uh, the seer, to Hanani. In verse 10, then Asa was wroth with the seer. Instead of getting on his knees like David did and said, oh, Lord, I've sinned. I'm sorry. I repent. The goodness of God led Asa to repentance, but he didn't repent. Instead, he was wroth with the seer, Hananiah, put him in a prison house, or he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. In other words, he started to beat up on the children of Israel as well. He put Hananiah in prison and he began to oppress some of the people as well. He began to throw them around. Didn't act, didn't end well for Asa. Behold, the acts of Asa, first and last, in verse 11, they're written in the book of the Kings. You could read that in Kings. And Asa, in the 39th year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. Seems like God remembered the covenant that Asa made back in the beginning of chapter, chapter 15. Whosoever would not seek the Lord of God of Israel should be put to death, whether great or small. Over in Romans it says God is no respecter of persons, doesn't it? Said that in their reading, chapter 2. God is no respecter of persons. He didn't respect the king. It doesn't matter whether we're a king or a pauper. It matters what's in our heart, though, to God. Brethren, Asa began well, but he didn't finish well. Jehoram. Jehoram, jump over now to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. 2 Chronicles 21. 2 Chronicles 21 and uh, Jehoram. Jehoram, it doesn't say that he, you know, he served the Lord at all, but he was Jehoshaphat's son. Jehoshaphat was generally a good king. We're not going to look at Jehoshaphat. But um, Jehoram was Jehoshaphat's dad, so he, or Jehoshaphat's son, sorry. So he had a great beginning, he had great opportunity again, but he didn't use it. In verse 6 it says, He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't have a very long reign. He, uh, he, he didn't reign for very long. There came a writing in verse 12 to him from Elijah the prophet. You know, if, if you sort of think with me, there seems to be a, quite a correlation in the fact that, you know, they have an opportunity and then they have a message come in their life, perhaps two messages or more from a prophet or from directly from the Lord like Solomon had, you know, in a dream. Here Elijah sent uh, a message to Jehoram. There came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet in verse 12. Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah. So Asa's mentioned. Asa generally was good until the end. 
but has walked in the way of the kings of Israel and has made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring. Oh, brethren, that sort of jars when you read that. When the leader has opportunity to lead the people well and he leads them here, it says, to go a-whoring. Jeroboam, it says he made Israel to sin. Oh, my, my. So to go a-whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also has slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Jehoram killed all his brothers. That's how paranoid he became. He got the power, he got the position, he got the wealth, he got the throne, he got everything, but he was paranoid that his brothers would take over, so he kills them. We haven't read that, but you can read it there in the chapter, chapter 21. Paranoia takes over. And uh, the need to micromanage. Have a look. Verse 14. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. So this is Elijah sending Jehoram a message. And in verse 15 he says, And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of, thy sick, of the sickness day by day. And it happened. Do you think he had opportunity there to repent? I believe he did. May not have stopped the, 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 the result of, him, of his bowels dropping out. I don't know. But he had opportunity to repent. He was given a very stern message from the Lord. And the Lord told him ahead of time what would happen. And it did. Jehoram didn't finish well. He didn't begin well either, mind you. Jehu, come with me back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. You say there's no good kings in Israel. No, you're right. But um, they were given opportunity to start well. 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9. I happen to like Jehu. I don't know why. Maybe because he drove a fiery chariot or a fast chariot. You know. Used to have a car once that was red and everyone in the church called it Jehu's chariot. And uh, Rhonda used to love that little car. It'd go like a rocket. But uh, why do we think Jehu's chariot was red? I, who, who knows? Really doesn't matter, does it? But... Uh, Anyway, uh, in chapter 9, Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil of thine hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. When thou comest thither, look out there Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him arise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. Take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not, bolt. <laughs> so the young man, even the young man, the prophet, so here's a message from the Lord to Jehu. And Jehu gets this message and he becomes then king of Israel and he's given great opportunity. He's given a command to wipe out the, you know, the, the family of Ahab because of the wickedness of Ahab and he carries it out to the letter. Jehu knew the hand of the Lord upon him. Jehu had great opportunity to follow the Lord and to set Israel aright. But the scriptures tell us that he went on and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Jehu had great opportunity. Uzziah, Second, King, Second Chronicles. Sorry, let's go back to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Isaiah was a great king of Judah. Began well, became established, became strong in Israel, fortified things. But in verse 16, have a look. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. The kings of Judah were not to be priests. They were the kings, 
but they weren't to be priests. They weren't given the job of being priests or to offer into the, in the temple. That was for the Levites to do and the sons of Aaron to be the high priests. And Isaiah sort of, as he was, became lifted up again, you know, pride. He had pride he, or he had position, he had popularity, he had possessions, he had, he had everything. Pride enters in. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. He began well, brethren, but he didn't finish well. Because he went into the temple and tried to, you know, usurp authority over the priests, the Lord struck him with leprosy. And the scriptures tell us that he was a leper for the rest of his days. And uh, that was how he finished up. Isaiah began well, but didn't finish well. All right, you say, well, you've only looked at the kings, Brother Robin. Yeah, I have, but the kings are an example to us. And like I said, like I said over there in, in uh, Romans 2, you know, God is no respecter of persons, so the kings are an example for us. We may not become kings, but they are an example for us. God is no respecter of persons. He'll deal with us the same as he dealt with the kings. I want to finish off with King Ahaz. King Ahaz in chapter 28. King Ahaz was not a good king, but he had a good beginning. Well, what sort of beginning did he have, Brother Robin? Well, his dad was Jotham. Jotham before him in chapter 27 was quite a good king. And his dad before him was Uzziah, who was, like I said, a good king at the beginning. Didn't finish well, but... Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign in chapter 26 and he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. And Ahaz became very wicked really. He took on the, well it says he, he sent his, his sons uh, through the valley of Hinnom, burnt his children in the fire in chapter 3, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out, sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of, Assy of Syria. He also delivered him into the hand of uh, Pekah, the son of Ramalia, in verse 6. And that's, uh, you know, he was the the king of Israel at the time. So the top northern tribes came down and oppressed Judah as well. And uh, uh, there was, uh, was 200,000 of, of his men or, or, and women, sons in verse 8, that were taken captive by the Israelites and taken to Israel. And uh, God was merciful to them and, and allowed them to be brought back because there was, a, there was a prophet in Israel whose name was Oded in verse 9. And he withstood the soldiers that brought back all this spoil and all these 200,000 people from Judah. And Oded sort of uh, uh, stopped them and actually took those captives and fed them and clothed them and sent them back to Jericho and back to Judah. But Asa, sorry, Ahaz is the king at this time and uh, uh, Ahaz was a, was a mixed up fella. He, uh, he was attacked by the Syrians, he was attacked by the Israelites, but then he was also in the middle of that given a message by the Lord. And it's not here in the... In the, the, the uh, in the record there, but if you come with me, keep your hand there in Second Chronicles 28 and come with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. Keep your finger there in Second Chronicles. But Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah is the prophet at the time. Isaiah's time began in Uzziah. It was in Isaiah chapter 6. It talks about the year that King Uzziah died. So we know that Isaiah was prophet from Uzziah's time 
through Jotham and now into Ahaz time. This happens, this is around 740 BC. So just over 700 years before Jesus came. And uh, God sends a message to Ahaz through Isaiah. All these names sort of get you jumbled up, don't they? Chapter 3, or verse 3 of chapter 7. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah. So Isaiah's the prophet in Israel and Judah. Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not. Now here he is Isaiah speaking to Ahaz, a wicked king, really. He hasn't followed the Lord to this point. He's had attack from Syria. He's had attack from Israel. And he's sent his son through the valley of the son of Hinnom, burned his kids in the fire. He's a wicked king, really, right? But Isaiah and God, particularly, is merciful to him. Sends him a prophet. Sends him Isaiah. And Isaiah meets him. God says particularly what to do, where to go, where to meet him. He goes and meets him at the fuller's field, in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands. And he goes on and talks about the leader of Syria and the leader of Israel. And he basically says to them, I'll sort of summarise it, look, don't worry, they're not going to win. Jerusalem's going to be safe. It's okay. God is in control. Now he's giving opportunity to this king, Ahaz, who's already demonstrated that he wants to be wicked, but he's giving him opportunity to repent. The goodness of God leads thee to repentance. The goodness of God led Ahaz to a point where he could have repented. And it goes on and have a look down in verse 10. Or verse, the end of verse 9, if ye will not, this is halfway through verse 9, if ye will not believe, because he knew he was an unbeliever, right? If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Okay? He said, things have not gone good for you, but you, you know, I'm giving you a promise here. It can be better from now on. In fact, I'm still going to protect Jerusalem anyway at this point. And uh, if you won't believe, surely you, sh- you shall not be established. But why not believe? You know, believe. Believe. That's what the message you and I are giving, aren't we? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Brought to a point of repentance, believe. Believe. If thou wilt not believe, you won't be established. Moreover, verse 10, The Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, and he gives him great opportunity, ask thee a sign. Ask me a sign if you want. Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it, either in the depth or in the height above. Ask a sign. You don't believe? You want a miracle? Ahaz, I'll give it to you if you want one right now. What an opportunity this guy had. But look at his response. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And he's tried to sound pious. Neither will I tempt the Lord. I don't want to ask. I've already set my course to follow these other gods. And in fact, about the same time, he actually gave instruction. He went up to Damascus, and you could read this in Kings or come back, into, come back to 2 Chronicles. Maybe it's in 2 Chronicles here. It's either in 2 Chronicles or it's in 2 Kings 16. Uh, that's the other chapter. But he goes up to, uh, uh, to Syria, and he, gets, and he sees a new altar up in Damascus, 
and he sends dimensions of this altar back to uh, the priest in Jerusalem. And he says, build me this new altar. I've seen a new altar to the God of the Syrians and I want to build it in Jerusalem. And before he gets back to Jerusalem, the priest had it built for him. And Ahaz began sacrificing on that altar. I mean, you talk about a mixed up fella. He, would, he, he had all the gods. And then he says, oh, because, and look at, in verse 23 of chapter 28 in Second Chronicles, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him. And of all Israel. They were the ruin of him and of all Israel. Brethren, I submit to you this morning that if you and I are given opportunity to repent, opportunity, given a message from the Lord directly out of the scriptures, perhaps by somebody preaches to us and gives us clear message and we refuse to repent, They'll be the ruin of you. The way that you keep on going. They were the ruin of Ahaz. And uh, I don't know where it is. I just can't see it here. It must be back in, in, uh, in um, 1 Kings 16. And we won't go there now for time. But it says, this is that King Ahaz. This is the phrase, this is that King Ahaz. If there was any sort of doubt about it, this is him. And Isaiah goes on and says, well, if you won't ask a sign, well, the Lord will give you one anyway. And he speaks then in the chapter there, in chapter 7, of the Lord himself shall give thee a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and, bring, and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years, sorry, before the Lord Jesus was born, the Lord says through Isaiah, because Ahaz wouldn't ask a sign, wouldn't believe, wouldn't repent, he says, well, I'll give you a sign anyway. It didn't come for 700 years, but it came. But it came. And that's what we reflect about this time of the year, don't we? The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, Emmanuel. And here it was prophesied 700 years to a wicked king, to a wicked king. At a time when the king was leading Judah in a bad way. And uh, the way he went was the ruin of him and of all Israel. Brethren, come back with me now to, to uh, Romans and I'll just finish off where we began. As we reflect on the end of uh, and. 19 and and we think about a new beginning and a new year coming 2020 and we'll pat each other on the back and say well I pray you have a good 2020 and that's good to do I'm not mocking it all right I'm not mocking it I just say give a word of caution and a word of encouragement if the Lord is working on your heart about something and he's bringing you to a point of repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I'll finish with the point of why did these kings go wrong? Well, like I've pointed out, they all had opportunity to repent. They all had a message brought to them. Only one really sincerely repented when he was fronted up, and that was David. The odds are not high, are they, for true repentance? The odds are stacked. If these are our examples, the odds are stacked. Against true repentance. But is the Lord good? Yes, he is. He's good. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I could spend a lot of time talking about that and uh, could picture a lot of things and use sheep as illustration, but I won't. Do. <laughs>
But I just reflect again on the fact that David, David repented sincerely. The goodness of God led David to repentance. And at the end, or somewhere in his life, he wrote Psalm 23. And at the end, in verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brethren, we can say that with David if we sincerely, when God gives us opportunity to repent, when he points things out in our lives and says, look, this thing needs to be addressed. You need to deal with it. Get it right. I give you opportunity. Don't be like the kings. Don't, be, don't harden our hearts. Let's not harden our hearts. Because it says, goes on and says there in Romans, after thy hardness and impenitent heart. That means hardness and unrepentant heart. You reap, heap up wrath upon yourself. And that's what happened to all those kings, right? They heaped up wrath upon themselves. Can we deign to think that we're better than the kings? And that, well, it won't happen to me. I just leave you with that thought and uh, pray that as you meditate on the end of 2019 that, you know, let's, let's grab a hold of the scriptures and let's grab a hold of the things of God and, and not be hard against the goodness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your good hand upon us. And thank you, Lord, for the examples of the kings. And, uh, Lord, in some respects, it's disheartening. We sort of think in our mind, well, if they couldn't make it, if they didn't finish well, well, what hope have I got? But, Lord, you give us all a choice. You give us all opportunity to repent and turn to you. Help us, Lord, daily to keep short account with you and to not let pride take heart or take hold in our, in our hearts. And Father, we'll thank you. Help us, Lord, the end of 2019 to enter into a new year giving you our hearts completely. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Paul.